Alright. Um, let's pray and then we'll get into our study. Lord, uh, thank you, God, that you give us the, 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 the word. Lord, you give us your words to, to guide us, um, to direct us, to reveal yourself to us. And I pray that you would do just that in this time. God, that we would, we would have a fresh revelation of who you are. Lord, how you revealed yourself to, to Jacob and um, what he communicates in this text is, is so powerful as he's coming uh, closer and closer to death. What he's thinking about was you. Lord, so I pray uh, that we would learn from this, God. We'd purpose to uh, apply some of these, these things to our lives as, as best as possible. Lord, and you would just be uh, glorified in this time, that your spirit would, would move, that you would fill me, that you would fill all of us, God, that we would see this not as some, uh, just some ancient story, but, but a story that, that actually applies to our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Um, <clears throat> For those of you, if this is your first time coming, we're going through Genesis on Wednesday nights. We're nearing the end. Tonight we'll be in Genesis chapter 48, so we only got two chapters left. Um, I'm praying about what's next. It's either going to be Exodus or 1 Samuel, okay? So that'll be our next series uh, I'll let you all know as soon as I make that decision. But if you recall, uh, just to give you kind of a brief summary, uh, we're still um, talking about the life of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, you remember, he was betrayed by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused, put into prison. Then he was forgotten. But ultimately, because God had given, given him this gift to interpret dreams, he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dream and because he interpreted pharaoh's dream and also came up with a strategic uh, idea or plan to save the nation of egypt literally save the the known world at that time from this famine that came to pass now we see during that time uh joseph's brothers needed food they go they see joseph didn't know that it was him there's different conversations and interactions that happen there but now we see finally joseph's family is brought to egypt and now Jacob, we discussed the last couple weeks how he was brought to Egypt in his old age. The last two teachings uh, in chapter 46, we discussed how the journey wasn't over. Jacob was 130, but God still had a, a plan for him. God still had an adventure for him. He wasn't through with him yet, even in his old age. Age. And then we see in the last chapter how God provided for this family when the rest of the world was going through this famine. They had nothing. They were starving. God provided for his own. It was all part of God's plan to bring Joseph and the rest of the family to Egypt during this famine. Now, in Genesis chapter 48, uh, we're going to see that Jacob, though he's on his deathbed, as we mentioned last time, uh, he's going to begin recounting his encounter or encounters, he had two, uh, with God. And he's going to talk about some of these things and then he's going to bestow blessings upon two of his grandchildren. Okay, And then in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 49, he's going to bless all of his children with these prophetic blessings, all of his uh, sons anyway. So there's some really interesting things there that we'll learn next week. But this week, we'll just be in Genesis chapter 48. We'll get through the whole chapter. This is interesting, though. Jacob, on his deathbed, though he's had these times of deceiving and complaining and all these different things, in the end, what's he focused on? How God blessed him. How God took care of him. And in light of God's blessings, Jacob is going to bestow blessings of his own. He's going to bestow blessings, like I mentioned, upon his grandsons. Which brings me to the title of this teaching. Blessings from the blessed. Blessings from the blessed. See, 
God had blessed Jacob so abundantly. And now, in a way, Jacob's going to kind of pass these blessings on. He's going to bless his grandchildren and then later his children. But for us, and I'll tie some of these things in, when when God blesses us, yeah, that's for us, but the hope is that we would take the blessings that we receive from the Lord and, and bless someone else. And you'll understand that a little bit better as we dive into the text. If you would with me, Genesis chapter 48 verse 1 says, Now it came to pass after these things that Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. So we see, as we discussed last week, that that Jacob is sick. He's literally on his deathbed. And what we're going to see in this text is that Jacob, sorry, Joseph comes to visit Jacob. Joseph comes to comes to bless Jacob because he knows he's at the end of himself. And, and, And now Joseph brings his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. They're coming to bless Jacob, but they end up being the ones that are blessed. What am I talking about? So often when we go to bless someone else, maybe it's visiting them when they're in need. Maybe it's in a hospital. Maybe it's when they actually are on their deathbed. Maybe it's just reaching out to a friend or family member or neighbor. And we go to bless that person so often we leave becoming the ones that were blessed. And that's exactly what's going to happen with Joseph and Manasseh and Ephraim. They're going to, to bless their father, grandfather, Jacob, but they're going to be the ones that leave being blessed. Look what happens. Genesis chapter 48, verse 2. And Jacob was told, look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat up on the bed. So we see Jacob on his deathbed, but now he knows he kind of sees his visions a little off as we'll discuss, but he knows Joseph is coming. And because he knows Joseph is coming, he strengthens himself. Literally, Joseph's presence brought him strength. See, our loved ones, they can do that for us too. Our loved ones can literally bring us strength. They give us motivation to continue on. The people that we love so much in this world, when they're around us, it motivates us to to maybe go the extra mile. Funny story, the other day, uh, me and Matthew Medina were working out and Elizabeth was there that time. She comes sometimes uh, and, and she was there and we were at the end of the workout and Elizabeth was sitting right there and, and I was finishing up and I was like doing this kind of like high knees in place thing and and Elizabeth was there and she kind of motivated me to, to go the extra mile, you know. She's my wife, but I still want to impress her, right? So So I just start going so hard and Matthew looks at me like with this look like, You don't usually do that. He's like, man, Elizabeth, you need to come more often. When you come, it motivates him more to push harder. But it's a funny story, but it's serious, though. When the loved ones in our life surround us, when we're in their presence, it gives us that extra motivation to continue on. Now, for me, it was a workout for Jacob. It's much more serious. It was him on his deathbed. And I think sometimes we don't realize the power that we have. Just the power of our presence alone. Going and visiting someone in their need, while they're struggling, while they're going through something, how much we can strengthen them. Do you see yourself as a source of strength for your family? Have you seen yourself? Have you ever experienced something like this where you came to a friend or a family member, you were there for them when they needed you, and they literally... We're strengthened by your presence. See, our loved ones can be a source of strength for us and we can be a source of strength for them. Jacob, he has this encounter with Joseph on his deathbed. He's laying there dying and he's able to strengthen himself and get up. That's the power of the presence of our loved ones and the power that we have over our loved ones that we can literally be strength for them in the midst of of their trial. Genesis chapter 48, picking it up in verse 3. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. 
So we see Jacob is recounting and he's going to go into this in further detail. He's recounting when God first appeared to him. Luz is another name for Bethel. He called it Bethel after that. It was originally called Luz. But what we see is just that he's recounting this time that God appeared to him and blessed him. Point number one, God's appearing is a blessing. God's appearing is a blessing. Just the sheer fact that God appeared was a blessing in and of itself. This story, if you remember, uh, was in Genesis chapter 28. And if you recall that story, we see that uh, Jacob, he had an altercation with with Esau, he kind of stole the birthright, that's debatable. Esau technically gave it to him, but anyways, we see that Jacob, he flees because his mom tells him to flee because he's going to be killed by his brother. His brother says, as soon as dad's gone, I'm killing him. I'm going to take him out. And so because Joseph was afraid, sorry, Jacob was afraid, he ended up running away and uh, basically he went to pursue uh, Laban's house, ultimately finding a couple wives. But the point is he's recounting this story he's remembering this story when the first time god appeared to him see we'll always remember that first time we'll always remember the first time that god revealed himself to us that first time that he appeared to us and i'm not talking about uh the burning bush okay if that's happened to you great never happened to me but god does appear god does visit us god will reveal himself to us in so many different types of ways now i want to point out something before i get more into that we have to remember when god revealed himself to jacob When did God reveal himself to Jacob? It was when Jacob literally forsook all. Jacob left everything. He left family. He left friends. He left it all. And he went out on his own in this journey. And that's when. That's when. When he surrendered it all, that's when God appeared to him. Same thing goes for us. Jesus says it in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. He says, if you're not willing to forsake all, you're not worthy to be my disciples. But the benefit of that is when we do forsake all, we'll find Jesus. We'll find him. He'll reveal himself to us. He will appear to us just like he did with Jacob back in Genesis chapter 28. And look at what he says here in Genesis chapter 48. He says, God Almighty. He says, God Almighty. That's the God that appeared to me. It was God Almighty. That God Almighty name is that El Shaddai name. Okay, we first see that name in Genesis chapter 17 when God Almighty revealed himself to Abraham. We also see in Genesis chapter 35, uh, verse 11, when God reveals himself the second time to Jacob, he reveals himself as Almighty God, as God Almighty, El Shaddai. But the interesting thing about this is when you look at the name El Shaddai. Now, there's different debate about what, sh- what this name means, and I'll talk about both of them, or two of them at least, and we've discussed this before, but I think it's, it's important. See, many suggest that that first word, L, well, that word actually means it speaks of the, the masculine features of God, the strength of God, okay? The word shad, okay, should I? Shad literally means breast, okay? So many suggest that shad, breast, should die is speaking of the feminine character qualities of God. Yes, he's strong. Yes, he's mighty. Yes, he is sovereign. He's all these different things, but he's not like a man or woman like we think. Yes, Jesus was a man, but God, he's bigger than that. He has character qualities that are feminine. He's a nurturer. He tends to his sheep. He takes care of us better than anyone ever could, but he's also masculine. He's also strong. 
Others suggest that this word El Shaddai, this name just means God who is sufficient. Regardless of what the name actually means, we see that Jacob puts a title on it describing a specific character of God because he doesn't just remember that God showed up. He remembered that God Almighty showed up. God who was sufficient showed up. God who was strong, God who was nurturing showed up and took care of him. It wasn't just that he appeared. It was how he appeared. And how he appeared revealed this certain character quality about himself to Jacob. And Jacob will never forget that character quality. See, God is a God of many different names. And all those names reveal a certain characteristic of God. And we're not going to get into all the different names of God. But I want you to think back maybe to your life, maybe when God first appeared to you, when God, or maybe the second time, maybe the third time, whatever it was, when God just made himself known to you. If you really think about it, you won't just remember that God showed up. You'll remember the way that he showed up and the way that he showed up revealed some specific character quality of God. Maybe that he's loving. Maybe that he's nurturing. Maybe that he's sovereign. Maybe that he's taking care of you in every aspect, capacity of your life. For me, I'll mention one. Many of you have heard this story before. Some of you may not. But about uh, right after I got saved, I would pray these two prayers every day. Okay, Uh, it was a a miracle that I got saved, that I actually accepted the Lord. Uh, And then I'm praying these two prayers. I'm kind of struggling with my faith because I don't even know really what faith is. And I'm praying these two prayers. God, I don't really understand you. I don't really know you that well. I don't understand your Bible. But but if I'm going to heaven now, I want one person to be there. I want my brother to be there with me. Okay, so every single day I would pray for my brother to be in heaven with me, that he would be saved. And the second prayer, same prayer every day, these two, second prayer was, God, I'm really struggling with the creation account and how it connects to science and the secular school system that I've walked through and what I've been taught my whole life. How do these things, they seem completely contradictory. How do these things mesh? Do they mesh? So I would say, God, Tyler, get saved and give me understanding about creation, how this actually happened and what's what's true. Okay, so a month later, I'm praying this prayer every single day, every day, faithfully, every single day, praying this prayer, not knowing if God was ever going to answer it. Now, a Wednesday night, my brother comes and he visits me at church. I was in the Calvary House ministry at that time. He visits me at church and they do an altar call at the end of the service. And my brother never thought he would <laughs> accept the Lord, but I was praying. And after that altar call, I keep like glancing at him and he's like, He's like, bro, I'm not ready. I'm not doing it. I'm not going up there. And I'll be, hey, no pressure. But if you want to go up there, I'll go with you. No pressure. This has to be between you and God. He goes, did you go up? It's like, yeah. It's like, all right. And he gets up and he walks up and he accepts the Lord. Now he goes to Liberty. He's trying to become a Christian counselor and all these different things sold out for Jesus. But then listen to this Wednesday that happened the next day, Thursday, I was so blessed. I was like emotional. My brother got saved. That's so cool. The very next night I'm sitting in my bed and this guy who I just met walks up to me and he hands me this packet. He's like, I don't know why, but I just feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. And that packet was the Ravi Zacharias School of Apologetics curriculum, week three, specifically creation. Okay, it was creation. It was it, Ravi. He goes into this is what the word says. This is what science proves. And he goes back and forth. You can put theory aside. This is what's proven. This is what's said. I just lost it. I was just bawling my eye. Oh my gosh, God, you are so real. You are tangible. I wanted you to answer my prayers on day one and day two, but you waited 30 days. You answered them back to back. I knew this. It's not about my timing. It's about the Lord's timing. And you know what happened after that? The next night we had this uh, worship service that we would do about every three to four months. And and at that worship service, I cried like a little baby because I knew God was real. Okay, I didn't want people looking at me, but I was bawling like a baby. And I got the message. The Lord says, hey, I'm going to answer your prayers according to my will. Not on your timing, but my timing. And it's going to be perfect timing that you know it's from me. And what I expect from you when those prayers are answered is that you worship me. And God, he had revealed himself so specifically to me. And it wasn't just him appearing. He appeared with these certain character qualities. He does answer prayer. He is concerned about my life. 
He hears the things that I'm crying out for. He knows exactly what I need and his timing is perfect. It wasn't just that God appeared. In his appearance, he revealed the specific character quality. That's what happened with Jacob. It wasn't just God appeared, God Almighty appeared. There was a character quality connected to that. God proved himself. God proved that he was taking care of Jacob along the way, along his journey. And then it says at the end of verse 3, Genesis chapter 48, verse 3, not only did God appear to him at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed him, not only did he bless him by appearing to him, he blessed him on top of that. He blessed him with a promise and he's going to go into that promise in the next few verses. Look at verse four. So God blesses him and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So we see here that Jacob uh, receives a very similar promise that Abraham received. Actually, it's word for word, some of the same words that God had promised to Abraham. Okay, it went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and through Jacob would come the 12 tribes of Israel. So God, we see, is so faithful to fulfill his promise, but look at what this promise is. Not only that he'd multiply these people, but he'd give them this land and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. That's so interesting. I think it's one of the most fascinating prophecies and promises in the scriptures. God said, Israel, that's for the Jews. Now, when you look at history, there's been many times that, that, that Israel has been taken away from the Jews. Well, even now, as we're reading, they left the promised land to go where? To go to Egypt, right? And they'll come back 400 years later. But then we see throughout history, the Babylonian exile. They're taken from their land, right? And then what happens? King Cyrus sends them back. And then during the Roman Empire, what happened? They exiled them once again. They didn't take them, but they they basically wreaked havoc on them till there wasn't any Jews left. And then what happened? In 1948, after World War II, the allied nations, they said, hey, Israel needs to have their country back. Now, some will say, oh, well, uh, that happened because the allied nations, they felt bad about the Holocaust and all these different things. So, yeah, they just did what they thought was right and gave them the land back. I don't believe that's why. It's because God said it's because God said it was going to happen. He said, I've given you this land as an everlasting covenant. Yes, he used man to make it happen, but it's so awesome how we see time and time again, God brings these people back to this land. In Genesis chapter 48, verse 5, and now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. And Reuben and and Simeon, they shall be mine. This is interesting. Basically, Jacob's stealing Joseph's sons. He's saying, these are mine now, but it's more than that. See, when you look at Reuben and Simeon, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. Simeon was the secondborn. When you look at Manasseh and Ephraim, Manasseh was the firstborn of Joseph. Ephraim was the secondborn of Joseph. Basically, this is a blessing. What Jacob is saying, I'm adopting your sons into my family as my sons so that I can bless them and they can be tribes. It was a blessing for them. Otherwise, Joseph just has his tribe. Basically, what Jacob is doing, now you get two tribes, Joseph, because I'm going to take your sons as if they were my own. And we see that actually throughout scripture. So Jacob, you had how many sons? Anybody remember? He had 12 sons, okay? He had 12 sons, including Joseph and Benjamin. But now that he invites Ephraim and Manasseh, that would make it 14 sons, but that's interesting. But we'll see that Manasseh and Ephraim, they basically uh, take the place of Joseph uh, in a way, Joseph has his two sons, so he gets two tribes, so that would equal 13 tribes. Now, this gets really interesting, and I encourage you to study some of this stuff. We often hear the 12 tribes of Israel, but it appears there's 13. Now, when you look at the Levites, they didn't have land, and there's all these different things. There's actually 20 different ways the 12 tribes of Israel are listed through the scriptures. And there's one missing each time, one of these 13. And it's really interesting, a fascinating study if we want to look in 
into that on your own. We don't have time to talk about it. But Genesis chapter 48, verse 6, he says, Your offspring, whom you beget after them, shall be yours. So he says, okay, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, those are mine. Whatever you have after that, they're yours. They will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. But as for me, when I came to Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her there on the way to Ephrath. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. This is interesting, okay? We see Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's sons. Joseph said, God gave me these sons in this place. Well, we see if we look back to Genesis chapter 41, we see when these two sons were born and even what their names mean. It's pretty interesting if you look with me in Genesis chapter 41, verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom As- Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and my father's house. And the name of the second be called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He refers to this land as the land of his affliction, but he also recognizes that God's still blessing him in the land of his affliction. Second point, God blesses us in our affliction. God blesses us in our affliction. Sometimes when we're going through trials, we're having a difficult time, a hardship, whatever it may be. If we open our eyes, we will see that God is blessing us somehow, some way. Joseph was going through it, but God was still blessing him. We see this with a famous character named Job. Now, if anyone's gone through it in the Bible other than Jesus Christ, it was Job. And we see Job's story uh, basically addresses the whole doctrine of suffering Lot to learn from there, but look at what happens at the end. And I'm sure you guys remember, but at the very end of the story, in Job chapter 42, verse 10, it says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Job was going through it, and you can't replace kids. But God did bless him twice as much as he had before. See, the Lord will bless us in our affliction. Sometimes we think everything's going the wrong way. Sometimes we think everything's going so bad, so south. But if we truly try to perceive and try to see, we'll see that the Lord does bless us in the midst of our affliction. A lot of times we miss it, but it absolutely happens. That's what's happening to Joseph. He says, God gave me these children in the midst of in the land of my affliction. Genesis chapter 48, verse 10. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I had not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. This is crazy and I love it. You remember previously, what did Jacob say? What was his last thing on his bucket list? I want to see my son. I want to see my son, Joseph. Now that I've seen you, when he sees him, now that I've seen you, I'm good to go. I'm good to die. This was the last thing that I wanted to see. This is the last thing that I had asked for. God gave it to me. I'm ready to go. But God didn't only give him what he asked for and seeing Joseph, he gave him more. He got, gave him the opportunity to see his grandsons as well. Third point, God blesses us with more than we ask. God blesses us with more than we ask. Not that God gives us everything that we ask, but he blesses us with more than we ask. His grace is abundant. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, you just write it down. It says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's not only able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask, but he also often does do more than we ask. If you look at it, you take a look at your life. 
and what you ask God, maybe in the beginning. For me, I just ask God, hey, get me sober. <laughs> get me off these drugs. Get me off the streets. Get me away from this lifestyle. That was all I was coming to God. God, I got nothing. Just give me something different than what I have. Okay, I don't have a place to go. I don't have, I don't, I don't have anything. Lord, give me something else. Give me a new life. And what did God do? He did just that. He gave me a new life, but he gave me so much more. He gave me so much more. He, he blessed me with a wife. He blessed me with so many good relationships with godly people, this church, so many different things that I've had the privilege of traveling, doing missions work. All this. That's not what I was thinking when I came to the Lord. I was, I'm a broken mess. I just need help. Give me something else other than this. He said, not only am I going to do that, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you're asking, all that you're thinking, because that's who God is. He gives us more than we ask. He gives us more than we think. Not only does he bless Jacob with his last request of seeing Joseph, he lets him see his grandsons as well. Genesis chapter 48, verse 12. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and he bowed down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. See, Joseph tried to set them up the right way and he knows that his father's vision isn't like up to par, right? So he puts Manasseh by his right hand because the right hand was the hand of strength. It was the hand of blessing. It was the hand of skill. That was the greater portion. That was the greater blessing. You would bless the uh, firstborn with the right hand. But what does Jacob do? He switches, he switches the hands. Now we can ask, why did he do this? Uh, and maybe it's because, well, Jacob, he was the second born. Remember, he had a, a twin named Esau, right? And he was blessed over Esau. So maybe he just wanted to bless the second one because that's how it was done for me, for him. Not likely. God was in this. God was speaking to him. God knew this was a prophetic thing. He knew Ephraim would be more blessed than Manasseh. He blesses both of them, but Ephraim is the one that gets the birthright. And we'll see that later. He gets the greater blessing as far as Joseph is concerned. We'll talk about that a little bit more. See, the culture again was the right hand, firstborn, the left hand, Second born, one after, and that's what should have happened. But God switched it. Why? Because God's not bound to our traditions. He's not bound to our cultures. God blesses whom he chooses to bless. It's not about, uh, this is what I think or what you think or whatever. It all has to do with what God thinks. And God thought that Ephraim would be the one, should be the one that gets the greater blessing over Manasseh. And we see God do this, breaking tradition time and time again, specifically with this. He blessed Isaac over Ishmael, but Ishmael was the firstborn. He blessed Jacob over Esau. He blessed Moses over Aaron. He does this time and time again, again, because he's not bound by culture. He's not bound by traditions. He does what he knows he's supposed to do. Genesis chapter 48, verse 15 and he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all the evil, bless the lads, let my name be named among them. In the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Literally, we see uh, Jacob bestowing this blessing, but it's interesting and awesome what he says about God in this. Remember, Jacob, he had his issues. He had the times where he was complaining about life. All these things are against me. He was constantly deceiving people and trying to get a one up on them. But in the end, he sees how faithful God was to him. And the first thing he says about God, not just the God of my fathers, he says, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day. That phrase, the God who has fed me, literally means in the Hebrew, the God who has shepherded me. The God who was my shepherd, that's what he's saying. And this is the first time that that reference between God being and being a shepherd is mentioned in the Bible. 
what we see Jacob saying is God was shepherding me all the time. He was guiding me. He was leading me. He was tending to me. He was protecting me. Again, he saw these awesome character qualities revealed through the Lord and how he took care of him. Now he also says this, look, verse 16, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Uh, in your Bible, is that angel word? Is that is that a capitalized? In your Bible, yeah. Do you know why that's capitalized? The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. It's the pre-incarnate Christ. You'll often see this figure, the angel of the Lord, referred to as a man. It's called a Christophany or a theophany. We've talked about it in the past, another thing that you can study. But this is this is Jesus, not only... Is Jacob recognizing that God was his shepherd? God took care of him. God fed him all the days. He says, the angel of the Lord redeemed me. The angel redeemed me. See, this is the first time that that word redeemed is mentioned in the Bible here in Genesis. And the redeemed word is connected to that capital A angel word. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the redeemer. Jesus is the one that redeems us. So not only is he thanking God for protecting him, he's thanking Jesus for redeeming him. Now, he doesn't know that it's Jesus Christ. He just knows him as the angel, the angel of the Lord. Fascinating study. Again, if you want to look more into that on your own time. Genesis chapter 48, verse 17. Now, when Joseph saw his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know he also shall become a people and he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So we see, like we talked about, the, the, the hands were switched. The right hand went on Ephraim, the second oldest, and the left hand went on Manasseh. And this displeased Joseph. He didn't like this. Why? Because he wanted his older brother, the older brother, to be blessed more. He thought that he deserved the greater blessing. But the reality of it is, is that God chooses whom he blesses. It's it's not about what we think. This person should be blessed more than this person. This person, they got it, get, they got it together. Their life looks so great. They're so righteous. They're so faithful. They're so all these different things. And they're not getting blessed. But this other backslidden Christian that keeps messing up, God has so much grace on them. And God keeps picking them up. And God keeps blessing them. And God keeps doing all these different things. For them, see, sometimes we can get caught up in this mentality where we think someone else deserves to be blessed before someone else or over someone else. But God chooses whom he blesses. Point number four is just that. God chooses whom he blesses. God chooses whom he blesses. Now, first of all, we see that Ephraim obviously wasn't the firstborn, but we see this wasn't, uh, this wasn't just Jacob just, you know, doing it because he wanted to. God was in this and God recognized this. He recognized the blessing that was bestowed and we even hear him talk about it later. He refers to Ephraim as his firstborn. If you look with me in Jeremiah chapter 31, in Jeremiah chapter 31, God says just this, Ephraim, he was a grandson. He wasn't even a natural born son from Jacob. He's a grandson, but God still honors this blessing. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 9, it says, They shall come with weeping and with supplications. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. He wasn't, but God says he was. Why? Because firstborn doesn't necessarily always mean order. It often means preeminence. He's saying he's the first. I'm making him the first because Jacob made him the first. And there was this special blessing that Ephraim had. But the point is, again, God chooses whom he blesses. He doesn't always bless the people that we think he should. And he blesses people sometimes that we don't think he should. Like, oh, God, why are you blessing this person? But 
it's between them and the Lord. And, and he chooses how he blesses people. He knows who needs a blessing, who needs maybe an encouragement, and, and who uh, maybe needs a trial. And so often you'll see the righteous go through trials and the wicked appearing to be blessed. And the Bible discusses that too. It's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks and what God does. Now we see here in Genesis chapter 48, he says in verse 19, But truly his younger brother shall be greater. He says this isn't just a blessing. This is a prophetic blessing. Truly Ephraim would be greater than Manasseh. And that actually happened in history. Ephraim became a greater tribe. In fact, later on when we get a little uh, later in uh, 1st and 2nd Kings and in some of those passages and even some of these prophecies, we see that the northern region, all of northern Israel is referred to as Ephraim. Because they're the greatest, they're the strongest tribe of that time. I'll point you to one in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 8. This is in, in many scriptures. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 8. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. And then in verse 17, it says, The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. So there was this time, we won't get into it uh, much, but uh, during uh, the Assyrian captivity, Ephraim uh, and the northern tribe kind of departed from Judah and the southern tribe and the northern, all the tribes together, there was 10 of them, were referred to as Ephraim. In the southern, it was Judah and Benjamin. They were referred to as simply Judah because they were the most dominant Tribe. So we see this blessing isn't just a blessing, but it's prophetic. The younger would actually be greater than the older. This isn't what Joseph wanted, obviously, but it's obviously what, what, what God had planned uh, for this family. If you look at Genesis chapter 48, verse 20, so he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, will bless, saying, May God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. So we see uh, Joseph having this conversation with Israel. Israel says, Behold, I am dying. But then he says, God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers in the midst of death, facing death. He's still trusting in God's promises. He's still trusting in what God told him he was going to do. See, death for us, for him, it's not the end. Just because we're dying doesn't mean that God's not faithful to fulfill his promises, specifically the promise of heaven. We can be confident. That though we die, those that believe in the Lord, those that accept him, those that are committed to him, though we will die, we can be confident that he is going to fulfill his promise again, specifically the promise to go to heaven. And Jesus tries to make us so certain of this, so sure of this. In John chapter 14, I don't know how he could have said it with any more certainty, but in John chapter 14, Jesus says this in verse 2. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. That's confidence right there. Jesus isn't saying like, uh, this is something that you can wish for. No, he's saying this is something that you can hope in. 
And the difference between wishing and hoping biblically is that hoping is a confident expectation. It's not wishful thinking. I can be confident and expect that this thing is going to happen. He says, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't true. You can believe God's promises. You can believe that you will inherit eternal life if you choose my way, if you walk with me. He says, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't true. I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again. So much confidence there. We can be so confident in that. Jacob was confident in God's promises. He knew though he was going to die that God was going to continue to fulfill the promises that he bestowed upon this family. And that's what Jacob starts talking about. He says, God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. See, Jacob was able to communicate this promise in confidence because he lived it. Because he experienced this. God will be with you and he'll bring you back. Remember, this was a promise that God told Jacob specifically a few times. We'll point to one of the times. In Genesis chapter 28, he says this, the first encounter that Jacob had with God, he says this, Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, speaking of the promised land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I've spoken to you. See, the Lord, he promised this thing. He said, I'm going to be with you wherever you go and I'm going to bring you back to the promised land. And what happened? Jacob was gone for 20 years. And then what happened? God brought him back to the promised land. So Jacob experienced this promise fulfilled on some level. Now, because he experienced that promise fulfilled, he can communicate that promise in confidence to Joseph. God is faithful to keep his promises. Now he's communicating that to his son again with confidence. What he's really doing is he's communicating God's blessing. He's sharing God's blessing. Fifth point, last one. God's blessings are meant to be shared. God's blessings are meant to be shared. He was spreading, he was sharing this blessing, he was communicating this promise that God made to him. He was delivering it, spreading it to his son Joseph. See, it wasn't just that he shared God's blessing and bestowing this blessing upon them and telling them, hey, you guys are going to be great nations. No, 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 no. He was sharing God's promise. He was sharing God's word. Jacob was literally spreading the word of God. He was spreading the very words that God had spoken to him. See, put yourself in Jacob's shoes, and I'm sure you can on some level. Maybe God promised something to you in the past. There was something that he told you he was going to do. And for those of you that experienced that, and it actually happened, like God said he was going to do something, he did it. How much confidence does that give you? God told me he was going to do something, and he actually did it. God told me we were going to have a son, okay? Before Elizabeth was was even pregnant, God told me, I, I shared it from the pulpit, (laughs) but before we even knew she was pregnant, okay, he told me that, and now it's actually happening. You know how much confidence that gives me as as a believer, as a pastor? Like, God said that, not just me, other people, that that we were going to have a son, and now it's actually happening. When God fulfills his promises to us, we can't help but spread them. We can't help but share them. And maybe there's specific promises that you haven't had the experience of that happening, but there is one promise the promise of eternal life. And if you can have confidence in that promise and you truly believe it, you're not going to be able to help but spread it. You're not going to be able to help but sharing it and communicate. Dude, this is what God promised and he's true to his word. He, he said, I wouldn't tell you this if it wasn't true. I'm going to make this happen. He's a man of his word. His word means everything to him. It looks like us sharing the gospel. It looks like us sharing God stories, telling people what, what God did, spreading the blessing. Hey, God blessed me, yes, but he wants to bless you too. If you want to put yourself in a position to be blessed, if you want to choose to follow him, if you want to commit your life to him, then you can receive these blessings just as I have. And look at verse 22. This is where we'll close. <clears throat> Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. 
Okay, so we see apparently there was this land in Canaan that uh, Jacob took over from the Amorites. But what he's telling Joseph is, I'm going to give you one portion above your brothers. See, all the tribes, all the brothers, they would receive a portion of land. But Joseph, because he had his two sons that got like adopted in, he's going to have two portions. He's going to have two portions of land. Ephraim will have land and Manasseh will have land. And that's what he's basically telling Joseph, you're going to get a double portion. That was part of the the birthright as well. We'll see with this family and I'll explain next week. The birthright's kind of divided. Judah becomes the leader, but Joseph gets the double portion. Okay, so we'll discuss that next week. But we see once again, the confidence. He says, you're going to get a portion. He's talking about land, which I took from the hand of the... He's saying, the land that I took, you're going to get it, okay? Think about that confidence. They're in Egypt. They don't know. He doesn't know how long they're going to be there and when they're going to go back, but he's just so confident in what God told him to do to bring him back because he experienced it. God had brought him back to the promised land when he said he was. So he knew that he would bring his family back. It's not going to happen for another 400 years, but it's going to happen, and he's so confident in this see jacob when you look at his life he's going to die at the end of the next chapter not to ruin the story you already know probably but we see towards the end of his life he's he he, you know he he had those times where he's complaining he's murmuring he's deceiving he's doing all these different things but in the end he he sees how blessed he was He, he sees how god took care of him how God took care of him and how God took care of his whole family, that he was faithful, that he was with them every step of the way, even in the famine, even when he was questioning, even when he wasn't sure, even when he wasn't being faithful, he knew God was with them. God was still blessing him, but it took him to the end for him to realize that in the midst of it, he didn't really see it in the midst of it. He's like, uh, all these things are against me. God's against me, all this different stuff. But in the end, he looks back and you know, God was blessing me. God was there for me. See, sometimes we don't see the blessings until the end. Hopefully that's not the end of our lives. Could be the end of a, a trial or a difficult time. And we don't see how blessed we were and how many things God did during that time, even though we hated it, even though we didn't like walking through it. But looking back, we can always see there was a blessing there. It's hard to see it when we're walking through it. But when we're at the end of it, like he is at the end of his life, there's no more famine. Okay, life's good. Wow. Even during the famine, God was there. God was with me. God was taking care of me. And when we see that, and when we realize that, we can't help but communicate that, that God was faithful to fulfill his promise. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you. I experienced that. And now you can share that. You can spread that. You can tell others about that thing. No, no, no. God is faithful to be all that he says that he is going to be. God blesses us in hopes that we would bless others. The message is spread the blessing. Share those things with others so that they might experience the same blessings that you have or even greater. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you. Again, for this time, thank you for, Lord, how, how good you are to us. Um, we, don't, we don't always acknowledge it. We don't always see it, Lord, but, but it's, it's present and, and it's there. And you even use the, the bad times for our good. And um, sometimes it's hard to see the good in the bad times, Lord. But I pray that, that we would have this perspective always. Lord, as, as Jacob did at the end of his life, that he saw that you're always there with him. You were always taking care of, care of him, even when uh, things weren't going the way that you wanted, uh, the way that he wanted them to. Lord, so I pray that we would, we would recognize how blessed we are, Lord, and uh, we, would, we would spread those blessings, God, whether it's encouragement or, or reaching out to someone or sharing your promises or uh, even practically, even financially, whatever it is, Lord, however you bless us, I pray that we wouldn't just keep it to ourselves, but, but recognize that, that it's more than just for us. You want us to spread it. In Jesus' name, amen.